Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. And I'm Jazzy, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Halo Halo podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. And I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin and Anishinaabeg people. On today's podcast, we do a deep dive on bond. And then later on, we talk about suppressing our flair. But before we do that, Sigs, let's catch up. What have you been up to pop culture-wise? Before we even catch up, let's... Tip our hat to my lovely co-host, co-founder of the Hello Hello podcast, and say, "Happy birthday, oh, Kuya Malagan Kalawan, my friend!" Do you have any big plans for your birthday? If all goes well, I should be dining at the top of the Saint Regis here in Toronto. Fun. Yes. So that at a place wonderful. called Louie Louie. And so Ooh. that is what I'm planning to do on my birthday. So thanks for asking, Sigs, and thanks for your birthday wishes. I know. I just, I'll be just back from coming off vacation. So mm. I'm hoping my card and stuff will reach you in time. But happy birthday, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank now, you. Thank you. Pop culture catch up. Now, I've mentioned this before and you're like, see, you should try to find out about it. I started watching Succession. Yes, I've heard so many things about it. A medium mogul family and the inner Machiavellian way of Logan Roy, the head of this family. Yes, yes. And played by Brian Cox and his kids trying to vie for his throne and overtake him. Roman, played by Kieran Culkin. Siobhan Shiv, played by Sarah Snook. Kendall, played by Jeremy Strong, Emmy Award winner. And Connor, played by Alan Ruck, famously Cameron from that. I heard a lot about it. I heard it's like a little bit cutthroat and stuff. And? I finally got... It's pretty dirty. It's pretty <laughs> much like cutthroat. And there's a funny cousin named Cousin Greg. And whether or not his kids are loyal to him. And it's just backdoor deals and excess and riches and stuff like that. I finished the first season. I'm in the middle of the second season because Succession Season 3 had just started. Mm. So I'll get there. Acting is pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. It's great. I think it'll be a binge for you too or whatever. Eventually Something to put to on it. my list for sure then. Yeah, put it on your list. It's just that power. And, you know, come on. You and I have always dreamed of working in the media but the cutthroat the backdoor planning and all the strategizing the, and the, the scheming is there and stuff like that it's there mm, and sounds like fun i see some bruised kids and but jeremy strong excellent actor and i love worry Cul- kieran culkin or worry culkin i apologize kieran culkin, kieran culkin who has yeah. my birthday who has shares the same birthday as me mm. so he's a great guy and actually he's i think he's hosting saturday Night live soon so mm. what have you been watching and i have a feeling i know what you're gonna tell me <laughs> well similarly something cutthroat and dirty as well if i can call, <laughs> kind of call it that michael and i finally got into the squid game streaming on tell netflix me. Tell yes, me. just an interesting commentary on capitalism being a rigged game. I mean, that is certainly my kind of like overall thematic view of it. For our listeners out there that don't know what I'm talking about, it is basically people that are down and out on their luck in terms of money and are heavily in debt are all participating <sighs> in this life or death game where you play a series of games of, based on childhood memories and fondness but they have life and death consequences and there could only be what we think is going to be one winner. It's fascinating because it's strange and it's got all this like mask driven 
drama that's kind of going on. So everyone's in a mask. And so if you've gone through Halloween, one of the most popular costumes is, Uh, you know, (laughs) comes from the squid game and you've probably seen it if you saw it on Halloween night. There's also just interesting commentaries that are being made by the producers and the writers. Got commentary on ageism. It's got commentary on youth. It's got commentaries on resourcefulness. It is a strange, strange television show to watch or limited series to watch. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's odd. It gets you watching over and over and over again. And I remember showing the trailer to Michael and who's like, I should watch this. And it's like, he he was like, (laughs) I would never watch this. And I said, yeah, I know. I know you would never watch this, but people are talking about this and people are very much talking about this and what it means. And I think it's one of these things where people will write cultural studies dissertations on actually, because I think it is cleverly written and has really great commentaries on racial capitalism, capitalism, capitalism Mm -hmm. being a rigged game, unfairness, meritocracy, and the fakeness of all of that. Again, I know the average watcher probably doesn't watch it the way that I do, but I just think it's an interesting, interesting commentary on our world today. How many episodes is it? It's nine. And like, you know, they average on 52 minutes to an hour and 10 minutes or something like that. How does it, is there a runway... For season two. Can you I tell think us if they do, in? it will be a prequel is what they will do. I think uh, they've okay. made That's it. a very way to get Yeah. Okay. But I will say this. The last episode that I watched, and I'm like two away from finishing now, we get to this part where we see some visitors, some VIPs are now watching the game and we find out that there's betting on it. And one of the characters says oh, Korea did a really great version of this game or something. I'm paraphrasing, which makes you think, oh, like if you were to do other versions of this and wanted to continue making commentary, you could do it around the world or you could do a North American or a Canadian or an American Mm -hmm. or Spanish. The best part is, is that it's been dubbed, so we haven't been having to watch too much. And I know that if you go on the internet, you will find lots of commentary on how maybe the dub or the translation or interpretation isn't spot on, but it still gets across, at least to someone like me and to Michael. It's like, it still comes on. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. There's so many things I could tell you about it. We just don't have time for it today, but yeah. Okay, I'll put it in my queue. Yeah. I'll put it in my queue. So today's topic, very much just like a dirty martini, (laughs) is my segue from what we were just talking about to this, is doing a deep dive on Bond. So Sigs, like the first question to ask ourselves is, when did you first discover Bond and that whole franchise? I like that this question is sort of linked for both of us. Mm. It was in the 80s when I discovered Bond. My dad is in love with James Bond. Mm. It was that spy. He would watch the films, the videos, going to the movies with my mom. I remember him renting the videos. Like, I knew when Octopussy came out. I knew when View to a Kill came out. Like, Mm. my dad would make an appointment television. They used to be on ABC and stuff, right? The versions would be shown. Yeah, that's right. My dad would be all over it. And I think one of the first times our friends from university came over to my parents, my mom bought him the collection like on VHS, which is so (laughs) sweet. You could watch each one, right? And it wasn't like a full series. It was just like some of the videos. So it was just, it's part of my childhood. This episode, really, I would dedicate to my father because it was just intriguing when he said, oh, look at James Bond. It's suave. Like the villains were very intriguing. Like growing up, I see snapshots of like Oddjob and 
the guy with the metal mouth and, you know, Blofeld. Like, <laughs> I was introduced that when you wear a tux, there was, like, something you commanded and the spy caliber. And I think I was introduced to the term what sexy was mm. and how it was linked to it. That lifestyle of women and drinks and being subtle and trying to save the world. Like, there was something so adult about it. I really link it to my father because he loves, he loves, loves this franchise. And I remember growing up in the 80s and like, oh, James Bond, of course, I know what that is. What about you? When did you discover Bond? Similarly, around about the same time in the 80s as well, I guess in and around 1983 specifically. But (laughs) before I kind of get into that, you know, I would have to say, (laughs) as opposed to your family, which was probably doing things very legally, my parents and titas and titas (laughs) were very much... (laughs) excited at the bootleg video shipment of Bond movies. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, and I just remember when Never Say Never Again with Sean Connery and Roger Moore's Octopussy had come out. They had gotten these bootleg Betamax tapes that they watched. Beta. Yeah, and everybody... Everyone was just so entranced by this, including myself, especially in Never Say Never Again. And I remember watching it with my family, with my parents, Mm -hmm. and I was entranced by this video game called Zeitgeist, where Bond plays basically risk slash trying to overcome country setting. And if didn't do it right, you'd get zapped by the joysticks that he had to play on. I was like... What is this? This is so cool. Like, I was just so mesmerized by this. And there was much debate at the time, especially when those two movies came out exactly at the same time in 1983, as to who was the better Bond and why were there two movies at the same time? I don't think anyone knew. I mean, there was debates as to that. I think later on, do we discover that the Never Say Never Again with Sean Connery was an off-book production that has never been acknowledged as part of the full canon and that there were reasons to that. You know, to me, I started to understand that a franchise and actors could bring different or actors could bring to a franchise nuance to a role. And and I just remember my family in debates would be talking about how Sean Connery was very smooth and stealthy, kind of like a panther, while Roger Moore was very debonair and charming. And it was interesting that you were talking about Tito Willy, like being so excited about this. I also think the men in my family very much look to James Bond as kind of like instructional advice on how to be North American in some ways. Would you say that too? Yeah, like it's a symbol of manhood. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He's a pinnacle. Like if you can be suave and charming, save the world, have a fast car, have access to women and stuff, I think that was like the prototype. Yeah, I totally thought that he was like a prototype that all of my titos and my dad were kind of talking about. And why there was Mm. major debates as to like who's the better Bond and who they could identify with. So yeah, I thought it was really interesting, but that's kind of where it started. And I remember 1983 really clearly, one year before E.T. came out, you know, in 1984. But that's a different different podcast. That'll be a different podcast. But yeah, it's just... It's such a rosy glow and like still my father liking it. It's who did your dad like? Sean Connery or Roger Moore? Or did he understand the strength of both? I think he understood the strength of both, but I would say probably, I think he likes Sean Connery, actually, to be quite frank. I remember him talking about him quite often. I don't know if I heard him specifically say Sean Connery, 
but I know that he liked Sean Connery. I know some of the titas in my family really liked Roger Moore and Pierce Brosnan in the end, but very much, very much, I think my dad enjoyed Sean Connery, and I think it was that kind of, again, he looked like he would float across the screen in a lot of ways, (laughs) and I think that that's what my dad really appreciated and what I've come to appreciate, too. So who is your go-to Bond? Of all the Bonds, believe it or not, the most recent Bond. So Daniel Craig. Mm -hmm. And I think I've mentioned this, or I'll be mentioning this in one of our other episodes. But the reason why is is, is that his version of Bond was really about paying attention to the psychology of what it means to be James Bond. And I just really appreciated that. He looked tough and yet intelligent. He wasn't thuggish. (laughs) Maybe Sean Connery was a little bit thuggish in some ways and just smooth. So that's what I would say is my overall, who my go-to Bond is. Yeah. How about you? Who's your go-to? So like I associate Roger Moore as my Bond because I grew up with him. Right. So like all the silly things, whether he went up in space and Moonraker (laughs) or he was feeding chicken wings to the alligators and live and let die. Or he was playing a clown in a circus. I associate with that, me growing up and him being on the Golden Gate Bridge and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I do enjoy the Daniel Craig reset in 2006. And it's funny how you say, Daniel Craig was a villain to me. Like, I think of Layer Cake, and I thought he was grittier, Mm. and like, he's blonde hair, and I thought he was more thug-like. Yeah. What I do have to make a quick mention, though, let's be honest, too, like, some parts of the franchise that aren't appropriate, Octopussy. Yes. A little cultural <laughs> appropriation, very ignorant, right. I didn't really like it. When I watch it now, I'm like, eh, it didn't age well. But funny in retrospect, when Pierce Brosnan was cast, and I'm sure you're going to have a point with this, too, it was almost too tongue-in-cheek because... He was on Remington Steel on right. television, yep. right? Yep. And I know all the Filipinos, we all watched Remington Steel. Yes. And sidebar, I have to do this little shout out to my friend Diana Magmanlak, Diana Corbet, the wonderful godmother of my kids. Her brother was named after, no, she was named after, her middle name is Laura from oh, Remington Steel. Oh, from Remington Steel, Stephanie Zimbalist. I just think, like, we were very familiar with it, so let's throw it on screen. And I don't think it added more to it, right? It became much more camp and stunt yeah. casting and stuff. And I agree with you, but again, and I agree with you too, like the Timothy Dalton years snooze. Like, see you later. You know, to me, growing up, Roger Moore, but I have to agree with you, the Daniel Craig reset in 2006 was fantastic. Yeah, I thought that was fantastic. I like Roger Moore, right? Don't get me wrong. I really Mm -hmm. like Roger Moore, but I think if I had to compare him against Daniel Craig, I really like Daniel Craig. And I think it has to do with the fact that there was different storytelling with respect to Daniel Craig and his portrayal of Bond. But I have to also say that, like, for me, a close second to Daniel Craig is actually Sean Connery. I really appreciate his his toughness. Like you, I didn't really care for Timothy Dalton and I thought that the franchise was trying not to go with the public opinion at the time because I remember after Roger Moore was done, people were thinking it was going to be Pierce Brosnan. He seemed to be the heir apparent at the time. And so it was kind of like a 180 when franchise chose Timothy Dalton and then of course it didn't react so well in terms of... Yeah, the box office receipts kind of emphasize that people didn't really take to him and so and then they finally got Brosnan but by that point the storytelling started to go sideways I thought you know and I think to myself Brosnan really didn't have the best scripts to play with unfortunately because I think what happened was MGM and the and Broccoli Broccoli? Barbara Broccoli, yeah. Yeah, Barbara Broccoli and and like and the family and stuff like that, and Cubby Broccoli, were very much kind of pandering to the public. So the public seemed to love gadgets, so let's just do more gadgets. Let's just go over the top. The 
public seems to love all of the comedy. Let's just do like over the top stuff. And I think the scripts paid for it in terrible ways, unfortunately. And so I think out of all the Brosnan films, only Goldeneye actually really, I thought was pretty good. I I agree with you. Goldeneye was great. And it just sucks, whatever, because Tomorrow Never Dies, we had Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. Who's a powerful bongo. But like, it is like blanched when you see Denise Richards as an astrophysicist. <laughs> it was ruined, right? And Halle Berry as Jinx. Like, oh, I it, know. it just didn't work. But I liked Goldeneye. I, I liked Isabella Scorp. So, and then you had, you know, Afamki Jensen as Zenya on the top. Yes. And she was great, though. It was his first start off, like, yes, you know, Goldeneye. And then, yeah, it sort of teetered. I have to agree with yeah, you. Yeah, like, because just became I thought a little that bit of a joke. I really liked Brosnan as Bond. But again, subtlety, subtlety and editing would have gone a long way. And I think it would have been better. And I think that that's why the Craig reset just felt so great, you know, and it was like mm-hmm. a return to form, a return to the character, because it's never been about the gadgets or even the humor or the Bond girls, for that matter. It's been about yeah. him. So it was a return to him in some ways, which is why it, he's become my favorite Bond or go to Bond person. What's your favorite Bond movie? I have many. Movies. It was really hard. Yes. To, like it was really hard to knock down. And like I gave like shoutouts to the ones that pop out in my mind. I yes, remember watching yes. Live and Let Die as a kid and stuff. I always think of For Your Eyes Only because I think of like the skiing scene yes, and stuff yes. like that. I always think of that Skyfall, and I think you and I both enjoyed Skyfall. Mm. It was like diving deep into his background. Yes, and you know what? In honesty, Skyfall, the Bond girl, I say was M. Yes. Right. And I like that because yes. I'm like, Judy Dench, that's right. She was the Bond girl, really. That's right. She was the one. And I love that skewer to it and, and a great villain. But really one that always, I always think of you to a kill. Yes. It was so accessible. I remember it being on ABC and I remember being very intrigued. I'm like, Grace Jones, very intrigued by this woman. And then I just, the final scene in the Golden Gate Bridge and then Duran Duran because it used to be, on, remember, it used to be like number one on the Chump for yep, forever. Countdown, and I saw it. So like, there are so many, it's really hard to pick. And as a person that my wife had bought me the whole collection and it's just added, you know, the whole Blu-ray mm. 25th anniversary, my wife got it for me. I just love it. It's so hard to choose. What are your fave bonds? Oh, movies? you know, when I was thinking about that, I tried to narrow it down to just only three, but there's a couple that I really like. But I would yeah. have to say that at the top of it is really Casino Royale. Oh, I really yeah. like the grittiness and the psychology behind that. And we saw something different, which was mm-hmm. an older and what I would say a grumpier Bond, which I ended up <laughs> liking a lot. Like Daniel really Craig think, is yeah. a grumpy Bond. Would you not say? I loved it. Because even when you saw him, he's like, oh, even the running and like he takes his punches. He's like, yes. oh, I got to keep up. Like, and I'm just like, oh, you're, it's reasonable. Like, it's you're reasonable. Like, okay. It's like, why wouldn't yeah. you be tired and fatigued and grumpy that you now have to like do one more extra leg to catch the villain? Yeah. And like you, I very much appreciated getting the backstory of Bond in Skyfall. And so I really <laughs> enjoyed that one. But if I had to kind of go back into the vault a little bit more, it would probably be Never Say Never Again. Like the action versus the trickery romps. You know, for me, like I just really enjoyed that, even though it was off book, if you will. A whole bunch of other Sean Connery Bond films that I enjoy, but this one very much takes the cake for me in the vault. What about Bond music? What is your I, favorite? I know you started to kind of mention so it, some of it. Yeah. It's so many. And I don't know. I'll try to find the link. XM Sirius did a wonderful deep dive on all the Bond music. And mm. it was fantastic. You would have loved it. They went through every year and how they got everyone. Like, I always think of You to a Kill with Duran Duran. I think it yeah. hit number one. And like Skyfall, Adele, and Writing on the Wall with Sam Smith, both of them won Academy Awards. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But, like, I have, like, a playlist on my phone from Apple, and I have all the songs. But, like, you know, when you hear the piano rhythm from, like, Carly Simon with Spy Who Loved Me, Mm. nobody does it better. Like, it's a great lead-up. And Live and Let Die, Paul McCartney and the Wings, like, it's such a great great soundtrack and we're not even talking about like just the theme of James Bond like they just pop up I thought it was really interesting that you know Billie Eilish they chose Billie Eilish I always felt like they had the pulse of like the who's the newest actor who's the newest groundbreaking kind of singer sometimes they really hit right with Adele and Sam Smith sometimes they don't aha uh-huh. <laughs> living yes, daylights living remember daylights. that yes, yeah living daylights aha right, uh-huh. right? Yeah. you know like for them to have Jack White and Alicia Keys Chris Cornell for Casino Royale, you know my name. It, it's great. Like, even Goldeneye with, like, the lovely Tina Turner, Tomorrow Never Dies with Carol Crow, and, like, let's be honest, Shirley Bassey. Mm, Goldfinger. Yes. Like, really rocking it. I just, it's such a, a wonderful oeuvre of many, many musicians. What about you? What were your Bond music? Well, I mean, I, I think I know there's the obvious, but y- go ahead. Yes, for it. I'll get go to ahead. the obvious in just a second, but <laughs> a view to a kill, certainly. Like, just the drum beats, dun, the synths, yeah. you know, a great mid tempo beat. And and it was like a great setup. And I love the sequence for that particular mm-hmm. Bond film. That's probably at the top there. Of course, I'm partial to Madonna, where she did Die Come Another on. Day. Yeah. You know, and I think that that had scored a top 10 entry as well on Billboard charts or something along those lines. Just like you, Paul McCartney, Live and Let Die. I will always Do remember you? that. I, I never knew you and I. You yeah. too, right? Yeah. I, like, yeah. that just gets me into it. And I think it's because it goes from a mid-tempo ballad beat to a tempo beats. So when you think about View to a Kill and Die Another Day, very mid-tempo, right? So it's either like mid-tempo fast or it's this like a slow sweeping ballad, just like Skyfall Mm -hmm. that you were talking about or Nobody Does It Better or The Spy Who Loved Me by Carly Simon, right? But I have to say... You know, you're right. They're usually on top of the who's who's going to sing the Bond song. And I was looking forward to Billie Eilish's foray because, you know, very much on brand, on beat. She's the zeitgeist of the moment in terms of, you know, a chanteuse out there. I just wish that there was like a sweeping chorus. It was like I kept waiting for this build and it just, it it was like, that's it, eh? (laughs) And sort of lost it, right? Because were you concentrating on the credits? Kind like, you know of, I mean? yeah. Like, you saw the DNA sequencing. You're like, okay, I see chemical warfare. Yeah. Like, and you saw, like, the visions of the tridents and stuff like that, which yeah. symbolized Bond. But I could never... I know she whispers No Time to Die, but I'm like, I, I don't remember the melody. I don't like, remember. Yeah. 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 You know, and I just think to myself... Where's the melodist? Who's the top liner for this? Is I was going to say, say who's the top liner? I don't know what yeah. the top line is. And yeah. I was just like, did I miss it? And then suddenly we're right into the film. We're right into No Time to Die. And so yeah. anyways, I was a little bit disappointed about that. Mm-hmm. I guess we can hope for better. But like what you said, it either does really well or it doesn't. And here we are. Here we are with No Time to Die. <laughs> Billie Eilish. Sorry for any Billie Eilish <laughs> songs out there. I think for me, you know, what stands out in terms of James Bond movie, and I think we had talked about this earlier, is is that James Bond movie tend to be instructional on a lot of different things and can sometimes perpetuate a few tropes, of course. And I think that that's slowly starting to change. At least that's what we've been seeing in the last couple of Bond films. But they've also been instructional in terms of style. What are some of the Bond styles that you've appreciated? 
let's be honest, the Omega watches, right? Mm, the the timepieces yeah. he wore yeah. were just gorgeous. And like even Swatch Rift and they did like a couple versions of and they put them in like VHS canisters <laughs> of like them. It's great. And I think they have like a no time to die and it looks like a little laptop that Q would use. Mm. And they just released that too. But it's just it's that caliber. Like we said, you know, it was a pinnacle of style and James Bond, like if you have the Amiga watch just gorgeous we start from there and then let's be honest the car totally if i was a car i'd be an aston martin and if you can name the madonna song in the comments you will get a personal hello from me but yeah yeah. (laughs) totally if i was a car i'd be an aston martin totally it's just gorgeous it's just that symbol of like sleek and everything and it's funny too when i was going through stuff like obviously we're going to talk about this in the the taste test the menswear is impeccable and it's changed right yeah like we think tux right the tux was brioni men's right and even the stars of the franchise they couldn't wear any other tuxes because they were contract like you wear brioni and that's for bond and there was a shift right right specter was tom ford that's right tom which ford. i was i was like oh that's really different it's not just that like whether it's leisure wear whether it's him wearing like a military sweater or like i say in a further episode suspenders and a waffle knit henley mm. still damn cool the yeah man is still the damn styling cool. is incredible fashion styling was incredible right down to how he drives. Just refined taste is what I thought. Mm-hmm. I thought what was really interesting was I actually did a you know a review in terms of the vodkas used throughout. Oh, yeah. God, it yeah. is interesting, Sigs, because I... So, so listeners, you're probably going to think I'm snobby. It's because I've learned to enjoy the finer things. But I have to say, it was interesting that early Bond films actually reference Smirnoff which is like a vodka that I would not actually attend to these days. You know what I mean? And that is just like us being just 19. I'll get out Smirnoff ice. Right. Like, you know, yeah. and Smirnoff is bar rail vodka. It's bar yeah, rail vodka. Yeah. But in recent years, they've switched to Belvedere, although I would rather that they switched to Grey Goose, but that's a different story, which is top shelf vodka. And yeah. it does make a difference. It really does make a difference. So it's it's just been interesting to kind of see that. But I think you're right. Like the sportswear, the tuxes, the clothes, the styling, even for the women, like gorgeous gowns and stuff oh, like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I would have to say that all of that just reeks of being timeless, classic, and as I had said earlier, refined. And like what I've said before, Bond films have been instructional and instructional on style. And, you know, and, and in some ways, in as much as what Bond had taught some of the men in my family on what to think about in terms of masculinity, I would say that mm-hmm. Bond taught me a lot in terms of how to express my style with flair. And when I think about flair, flair is about doing something well. And when I think about like how all of the different incarnations of Bond, they wore their tuxes well, it just made me realize, oh, I really need tailored suits and stuff like that. (laughs) Because then you look your best. And that is about doing well. Which kind of leads us to our culture capital topic, which is around suppressing our flair. You know, Sigs, you and I were talking about in our retreat when we were planning for this particular episode that when we do something well in our culture, it's not up to us to showcase our talents, right? Or else we'd be Mm -hmm. known as bragging. And that's not a good thing. We're always supposed to be typically humble, I guess, in terms of being good Filipinos, whatever a good Filipino would be, right? And so then it just makes you wonder, like, how are our talents ever known? And I know that they're only known if others notice 
or if others promote. That's kind of how you get child bragging and sometimes, unfortunately, child comparing in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. I wanted to kind of maybe go through three what I would call change back messages if you ever tried to express your flair openly and wanted mm-hmm. to see if you knew any of them. But the first change back message, so change back messages are like stop showing your flair and be more humble, was ang OA, right? And for our listeners that don't know, OA stands for overacting. So when you say ang OA, that means, you know, they're so overacting, which kind of has this message of don't be dramatic. Don't be so over the top, you know, and it almost implies that you're being obnoxious, even if you're not trying to be. Six, I don't know if you ever heard that expression or if you've gotten that expression. (laughs) I love those change back because I look at them and I'm like, and I just remember, like yes. whether it's my mom gossiping or just say, like simmer it down, like stop right. being overly dramatic enough. enough. Like just keep it simple. No. But yes, I've heard it so many times and it's so funny when I associate it, I couldn't really articulate. It. I'm like, I'm over. And I always said overreacting. Mom was like, no, it's overacting. I'm like, Overacting to what? And right. just this is what it is. So OA. And I just it was such a negative term. Like don't. Yeah. You know? So Sigs, if you and I were at a Filipino party and mm. we hadn't seen each other in like a long period of time, you and I would just have a kiki. Like we'd get yeah. really excited and start squealing. And yeah. then at some point, if someone was annoyed with us, they'd say, you know, stop overacting or stop being yeah. so OA in some ways. And I think that that's like an example of like really trying to suppress our flair. Like it's interesting yeah. that if we just got really too excited that then suddenly it's just take the edge off of it, which I always mm. think is really interesting and then it just kind of cuts you off a little bit. Have you ever heard I nosebleed? Have you ever heard that? Yeah, we've actually been tweeted about a couple episodes <laughs> from our Filipino <laughs> listeners when we talked about SB19 about I, their conversation of nosebleed. I'm like, and I sent you the, the text. I'm like, hey, I guess this is positive. What's going on? Tell us about nosebleed. Well, before I tell you about nosebleed or the comment, I nosebleed, I remember being in the provinces and speaking English in the Philippines and giving my cousins what they'd called a nosebleed. Yeah. They said, oh, Kuya, I nosebleed. And the original context behind it is, is, is that people in the Philippines would be speaking English. It's a way, of course, practicing English. And that if at some moment they couldn't find the English word, they would just kind of be silent or stutter or grasp for that word. And -hmm. people would just jokingly say, I nosebleed, right? Like as if you were getting brain freeze in some ways. But I think it has evolved and it's evolved to kind of separate and stop the conversation from being overly academic or overly political for that matter, or overly complex, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's a way of kind of almost change back the conversation to something much more simple or simplified. It's almost kind of like, don't show off your knowledge or don't show off like what you know and stuff like that. And I have to say, I've gotten that a couple of times, but I've refused to kind of give in. And it's kind of like, I'm demanding people to kind of like, no, you can think about these topics, yeah. right? Like we don't have to kind of just only talk about pop culture. We can talk about some of the heavy stuff too as well. So I have <laughs> to say of these three change back messages, probably I nosebleed is probably what I get the most. And I say, uh-huh. you know, if you don't understand something, just ask me. I'm not going to tell you that I don't, I'm not going to talk down to people, but I'm yeah. not going to dummy down what I'm saying in a lot of ways. I'm happy to help people understand what I'm trying to say too. Mm-hmm. The other change back message is charot. 
right? Or char. What's that? Yeah, so gay or Becky lingo for just joking is what that really means. You know? Or sometimes <laughs> people will say, joke lang, right? Ah, okay. So, you know, people will say stuff and then they'll minimize or just take it back by saying char or charot or joke lang. So, mm-hmm. you know, it especially runs rampant within the gay community that you hear these three d- different types of expressions occurring. But it's usually used to minimize what you say and then it kind of in the midst of it gives an undermining message that you are doing things too well. So, you know, one example would be, girl, you're so successful now. You're so hard to reach. Oh, joke lang, right? <laughs> yeah, and I think it's supposed to be like, oh, I'm just joking. But the message there is like, don't be so successful or else like who can be your friend or something like that, which yeah. I think is kind of interesting, right? It's like, well, yeah. aren't we supposed to be kind of pushing everybody up to be successful in some ways? Mm-hmm. So like, I think the natural question that kind of happens is, is, is that when your flair is suppressed, what happens, right? So when someone says to you, you know, Sigs, you know, stop being so OA, what, what tends to happen to you at that point? You just sort of shut down and feel a little embarrassed. Yeah. And just like, oh, uh, okay, I thought it was just being okay. It just seems like a criticism. Right? Yeah, and be, you being you, suddenly you feel bad about being yourself. And right. I think like one of the casualties of all of this is, is, is that we're told not to be our authentic selves, these kind of change back messages. So here we are expressing who we are, you know, demonstrating our flair and our style. And then it's like, don't be that. So it just kind of cuts us off a little bit. And it also gets us to hide who we are which I think is kind of sad. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as far as I'm concerned, being a gay man myself, I work too hard to kind of get out of the closet. There's no way that I want to hide myself again. And I think like the third thing that happens when we don't express ourselves is that the world doesn't benefit from our talents, abilities, and who we are as people. Like, Sigs, I love it when you get so super excited and super in your face about pop culture and everything else. I mean, this is why I love doing our podcast. And if I ever heard people say to you, Sigs, you're so OA, it would get me really mad because it's like, oh, this is what makes you so great. I don't know if you've got anything to say about that. I appreciate that because I really didn't understand, like, just simmer down. But I'm like, you're right about being your authentic self. You know, there are places and times or whatever, but I don't think I should stop being who I am. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say to the people that are telling you to simmer down or to the people that are saying to me, you know, stop giving me a nosebleed is kind of get some Q-tips, right? And put some coconut oil in your nose and participate in the conversation or turn up the temperature on your pot, right? And get up to the same temperature as SIGs, right? As far as I'm concerned. So which kind of leads us to our fixing of the week, which is I just want to say to all of our Filipinos, Filipinas and Filipinex folk in the diaspora, which is celebrate our flair and that we should be embracing others and compliment them for their talent and doing what they do well. Whether it's getting excited about James Bond or getting excited about politics and talking about politics and being Mm -hmm. passionate about it. And like the image that I want to leave with people is lighting a candle, you know? (sighs) And I think to myself, like, as we're in the December months and we're in Advent and stuff like that and we're lighting candles, (laughs) right? You know, it does no harm to light another person's candle. It's not like it's taking away from us. You know, we're Mm -hmm. actually adding to other people's energy and that they get to burn brightly. You know, compliment others. It doesn't take that much. It takes more actually to kind of suppress people's flair. That takes us to the end, Sigs. I don't know if there's anything else to add before you take us out. I think it's well put. 
let's not suppress people's flair. And let us bestow many birthday wishes oh, and happy you. congratulations for my kuya, Maligan Karawan. And thank hey, we love email. If you want to send him an email to say happy birthday, <laughs> email us at holohollopopculture at gmail.com. And hey, Let's continue the conversation. What did you love about the Bond franchise? Tell yes, us. We want to know us. what your deep dive in, what's the music you like, what the style you love. The Holo Holo podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Rate us and leave a review. And you're going to love these suite of episodes. The warm-up coming up and the taste test are all Bond-related. Mm-hmm. You can find us on social media, Twitter, our handles at Holo Holo Pop, and we are on Instagram at Holo Holo Pop Culture. Walang nosebleed dito. So oh. we receive editorial <laughs> feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chal Turingen. And we'll see all of you guys again real soon. Enjoy your dinner this week. Thanks.